Good morning, New Valley. See, there's maybe some new faces here today coming in for Christmas, visit family and relatives. I just want to get you caught up on what we've been doing over the last several weeks. We've been talking about prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. They asked, teach us to pray. So we've been going over the Lord's Prayer over the last several weeks. And today we're going to focus on the very last portion of that, the sixth petition. Before we do that, I want to quote one of the great theologians of the 18th century. His name is Jonathan Edwards, and this is what he has to say about prayer. Prayer is an excellent preservative from sin and the wiles of the devil and a powerful antidote against the poison of the old serpent. So let's look through the Lord's Prayer right now. If you want to read along with me, it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I think an interesting part of this is Jesus, before giving this instruction, he says, when you pray, it's kind of like your dentist says, when you floss, like he's expecting that this is something you're going to do regularly. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Yes, Father, we do come to you this morning, and we ask that you would open our eyes to the battle that we're in. Christ's words remind us that we're in a spiritual warfare, that the world is not safe, but we have everything that we need in relationship with you, in petition to you, Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Speak through me today, this morning, Father. Open our hearts. Open our eyes to see what's happening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So temptation has always been around. If you go to the scriptures, the very first two people on the planet Earth experienced temptation. Adam and Eve. So let's imagine imagine we're, we're there with them you're in a beautiful place a place that that puts the beauty of southern california to shame all right you have an amazing job you're hitting your marks quarterly marks like like nobody's business food is delicious it's all organic Deep friendships, deep relationships. Every time you encounter someone, there's no small talk and awkward pauses and awkward conversations, but relationship is deep and rich. You have a wonderful, amazing, intimate relationship with your wife. Now imagine this, and this scene, this perfect setting. Eve is walking one day, and she looks off in the distance, and she sees... A tree, and it's that tree, that one tree, that one thing out of all the beautiful creation, out of all the provisions God's given her, says, don't touch that. And that opportune time, guess who walks up? The serpent. And he begins to tempt Eve. And he says, essentially he scoffs. He says, does God really care about you? Why would he withhold something from you if he really loved you? And this is the essence of temptation. One theologian put it this way. It's the fear that God has unwisely and unfairly withheld a legitimate good from you. 
Now, it seems like people are always pointing out Eve's sin, like sin came to the world from Eve, but, but let's look at this, this, the text carefully, because Adam was close enough for her to hand that apple to him. So Adam is standing by. There's two sins going on here. Eve is being seduced by the serpent, and Adam is being complacent. He's standing by, he's watching this conversation happen. Hmm, that doesn't sound like what God told me. Well, that's interesting, a snake is talking to my wife. Okay. So as I watch this replay in my mind, I just want to yell, Adam, Adam, you have so many resources. If you would just say, help, God. The scriptures tell us that he walked with God regularly. He would have cried out, God, help me. Deliver us, there's a snake, and he's twisting your words. How much help would have come to him? How much resource was available to him? But he was guilty of the sin of prayerlessness. He stood by silently. He had only to say, God, help me. Come interpret this, this miscommunication that I'm getting. So let's think about this. When circumstances were perfect and ideal, beauty, perfect relationship, perfect food, job, there's no stress, no strife. Everything is cohesively, beautifully working together. And Adam and Eve fell. So what do we expect of ourselves? The world obviously isn't perfect anymore. What can we expect of ourselves? I think this is a, a, a grave warning. None of us is strong enough to resist temptation. Adam and Eve couldn't resist temptation in the garden. In the ideal circumstances, how are we ever to resist temptation in the world that we live in today? So we believe, as believers, we believe Christ is the only one who's capable of this. He was born in a manger, and that's a miraculous thing. He was born of a virgin. But another miraculous thing is he went through his whole life without sinning once. He resisted temptation, and just like Genesis 3 says, he crushed that serpent's head with his heel. Christ is the only one. So since he has defeated our enemy, what should we do? We should look to him. We should cry out, Jesus, be our help. Rescue us. Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. So we must pray to him daily. Pray to him daily for love. There's a gracious, warm relationship there for love and protection. So whether you're preparing for a final, some of you just finished finals, um, or you're preparing for a business meeting, one thing you know is this, you need to be prepared. What's going to happen if you go into that final and you don't pick up a book or study one day? What's going to happen if you go into that business meeting and you haven't looked over your notes? What's going to happen if you drive on to the Interstate 202 and you just close your eyes? You're in trouble because the world is not safe. We'd love to think it is, but we have help. We have help in Christ. And all we need to do, as Christ instructs us, is say, Oh, Lord, lead us not into temptation. I don't need any more temptation. Deliver us from evil. So we're just going to be just two points today. First point is lead us not into temptation. Let's really think about that, what that means, to be aware that temptation exists. The second point, deliver us from evil. How many of us are aware that there's, there's real evil in the world? We're going to discuss that. That's, that's a challenging thought to our, our uh, Western minds. So yeah, we like to imagine the world is a safe place, but it's not. We like to imagine that evil is really just some often abstract thing and, and really it's just up to just 
people to make decisions whether we're going to be safe or not. But the world isn't safe. We know this with, uh, you know, flus and sicknesses. There's all these things that we can't see that have a, a real bearing on us. And our culture feeds off of advertising and discontentment. It seems to be saying there's always something better around the corner. You look at billboards, you look at the internet, you see all kinds of lures. I mean, walking down the, um, the aisle in Whole Foods, like, there's candy in Whole Foods. And there's temptation everywhere. Uh, we also know that uh, more than ever before, there's temptation uh, with our devices. Technology. Uh, I don't think that technology is the source of our, of our sin and temptation, but I think that it magnifies, it magnifies what exists in our heart, this brokenness and this propensity to look elsewhere for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Another temptation, we long to be the rulers of our own kingdom. We long to be our own sovereigns. I'm going to make my decisions. I'm going to do what, what I think is right. I'm going to do what I feel like doing right now. So there's all these things that are constantly luring me. But just, let's just take a moment, think about it yourself. What are, what's that one thing? What's that one thing in the garden right now that is constantly hounding you? It's beckoning you, come. God's withholding this from you. Does he really love you? Scoffing in your face. Does God really love you? If he really loved you, why wouldn't he just give you that? Let's open our eyes. Let's be aware that the temptation is real. It longs to have you, as Jesus said. You know, in this passage, Jesus is calling his, his followers. He said, let's be alert. Let's be awake. Let's not be naive. Let's realize that there's real temptation in the room. Let's realize what's going on in our heart. He continues to speak in, in several of the Gospels. In Matthew, he says, Listen to the pattern here. I'm going to read from, from several gospel passages when Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Mark, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Same thing, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In Luke, and when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke again, he said, why are you sleeping? Rise up. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Do you notice the pattern there? So Jesus isn't telling us to gird up and get strong. Let's go at temptation. Come on, let's fight this thing. He's saying, no, pray that you may not enter into it. It's better that you just would avoid temptation. We can pray for that. God, just help me to avoid temptation. I don't need any extra things in my life. I, I confess, I realize I'm weak. And I need you. Uh, Jay Packer speaks of temptation like this, a, a famous uh, theologian. The pressures in times of trial can be so appalling that no sane Christian can do other than to shrink from them, just as they shrink from the thought of having cancer. So that's how we're to treat temptation, like a cancer. I mean, can you imagine someone who feels, I'm tough, I'm pretty strong, I'm, I, have a, I have a pretty good fortitude. Come on, let, let's, let's see what you have, pancreatic cancer. No. Jesus says, know your frame. Ask that you would be led not into temptation. And this begs the question, would God actually lead us into temptation? 
If you look at the, the root of this Hebrew and Greek word, you're going to see that it has more of a, a connection to testing. And God does test his people. And he does it only to strengthen you and to put you forward. But Jesus here is saying, pray that you won't be tested. Pray that you won't be tested. If Adam and Eve aren't going to pass the test in the garden in the ideal circumstances, why would we ask to face more? No, it's actually wisdom to say, lead me not into temptation. So it's not autonomy. So we're not called to autonomy, but dependence. Yeah, we're supposed to resist. God calls us to resist temptation. But here Jesus is specifically saying, pray that you would not be led into temptation. Our instinct is to go to autonomy. I can get this done. I can get this job done. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. But Christ is saying, no, go into a posture of dependence. Autonomy, this is what autonomy looks like. Autonomy is lots of hard work and no prayer. Dependence is lots of hard work and lots of prayer. Oh God, I need you. I need you. Oh Lord, please help me. Lead me not into temptation. Lord, please allow me to, to avoid this fiery trial. Let's, uh, let's look at another scene in the scriptures. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he's in the garden, he's with his disciples, and he's praying. What's he doing? He knows he's about to face the cross. He knows he's about to go and surrender his life. And he's in the garden, he's praying with, with, great, with sweat like great drops of blood. And what is he praying? Let's, let's tune in. Let's get close to our Savior. Fully God, perfectly man. He's saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So even Christ is going to pray, God, lead me not into temptation. If, if we can just avoid this, let it be, God. But not my will, but yours be done. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What's the, what's the big push in all this? Jesus wants us to live a life in a posture when we're constantly watching and praying. Watch and pray. Watch and pray is the theme. Watch and pray. Where is their temptation? You spot it. Oh God, will you deliver me? Will you lead me not into temptation? Help me just to avoid this, Father. So many of us are guilty of, of the sin of prayerlessness. Some people call it the sin, but I, I think it's really just missing out on a sweet opportunity to connect with God. There's such a sweetness in, in prayer. I remember when I first learned to pray, it was one of my first ministry experiences about 10 years ago, no, 20 years ago. <laughs> Ooh, I'm getting old. Here we go. 20 years ago, and what their assignment for us was this, to spend an hour of prayer every day. And I thought, an hour of prayer? What am I going to do for an hour? Am I going to sleep? Maybe I can sleep. I can go over what I need to do, do in the day. And, and I really just prayed these weak prayers like for, for several months, maybe six months. Like sometimes I slept. Sometimes I was on target just praying with pastors. Sometimes I was singing. Sometimes I was uh, imagining things and just off there. But, but there was this day, I, I can still remember, I was in a car with my friends. And I was thinking about prayer the next morning. I thought, it clicked. God's going to be there. God's going to be there. He's going to listen to me. He's going to be with me. He's going to help me. All the fears and all the anxieties that I'm carrying, 
all the temptations that I'm facing, he's going to be there like this. Come on, Tyson, let's deal with it. Let's walk through this. So God meets us in prayer. One saint said this, he has created us in his own image and has redeemed us by his own son so that in prayer with him, we might find our highest glory and satisfaction. So prayer really is a gospel discipline. It's coming to God, believing that he actually listens, that he cares, and that he's powerful. He's able to rescue. It's only by regular pleading with the Lord for strength to overcome that temptation we face we'll be able to endure and overcome. It's only by regular prayer. If we ne neglect prayer, we're, we're, we're neglecting our own rescue. We're neglecting sweet fellowship with God. So we must pray. Why did Jesus instruct us to pray? It seems so weak. It's, I mean, even a child could pray. But this prayer demonstrates faith and belief in God. So it's a very powerful thing. If you have faith, Christ says, you can throw mountains into the sea. You can remove trees, uproot trees. So let's open our eyes to temptation. Let's ask God for his leading. The second point is, deliver us from evil. Now this big, brings up a big question. That word evil, like that's a, that's a pretty um, odd word in our ears in this Western culture. And the Greek, if you look at the Greek, it actually translates, it could be appropriately translated either way, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. So how do you think, how do you feel about the idea of personal evil? Tim Keller speaks uh, well on this. Here, here's how, what he has to say about this. If you struggle with believing in the personal devil, consider that you might be culturally narrow because you know that white Western people have a lot of trouble believing in the devil. That's not true for most people in the world. Africa, Latin America, and Asia, they have no trouble believing in spirits and demons. And they have wisdom too, don't they? He, he goes on to quote Shakespeare, and he, Shakespeare says this, there are more things in heaven and on earth than are dreamt of in your psychology and sociology. So let's be aware. We live in a cultural climate that says the supernatural, that's, that's just, let, let's just dismiss that. But most of the world is not saying that. C.S. Lewis also speaking to this, this idea of real personal evil says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So we're not to, to be looking under every rock and corner, that was the devil, the devil made me do it, and we're not to be over here, come on, the devil doesn't exist, are you really going to believe that? But Jesus said, pray that he would deliver us from evil. Once again, the, the key here is just simply prayer. It's not fortitude, it's not might. I'm just going to go against the devil. The devil made me so mad and, and saying all kinds of terrible things. Um, the Bible says that even the archangel Michael, he didn't speak against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. First Peter 5, 8 says, 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, we have an adversary. And he's often spoken of like a predator. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So the devil's not interested in tickling your fancy. He, says that he doesn't just want to give you pleasure and, 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 and tickle your fancy. No. He wants to destroy you. Jesus speaking to Peter says, Peter, the devil desires to sift you as wheat. His goal, his objective is to destroy you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. And there's, there's many ways that he's attacking us today. See if any of these resonate. Anger. He's luring us with anger. Just like with Cain, Jesus spoke to him. God spoke to him and said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. If you'll just put this anger to the side, don't you know you'll be accepted? Is the devil coming at you with anger? How about pride? Deceitfulness? Envy? What about an intense greed? I need that. I have to have that. That's the thing that's going to satisfy me. Fear. Gluttony. Lust. Sloth. These are the ways, these are the avenues that he finds inroads to attack us and to destroy us. So should this freak us out? I don't think so. Matter of fact, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, you'll see that when Christ began to speak to his disciples about prayer, he didn't bust in the room and start saying all these anxious things. Guys, be careful. The devil's out there. He's prowling. He's dangerous. You guys are like sheep among, among wolves. Like you, you're in so much trouble. No, he comes in and says, let's, let's, let's give glory to God. And he goes through a list of six petitions. Let's give glory to the Father. Let's ask for him to cause things to happen on earth as they are in heaven. And he goes through food, your daily needs, forgiveness. And then the last thing, the last thing he talks about is lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So I think this should really tell us two things. We should regularly be praying for deliverance from the evil one. But we should also not be afraid. We shouldn't be filled with anxiety. Christ, I think, puts this very last for that very reason. So let's pray to, the, to God. Let's talk to him. Let's delight in him. Sing a song to him. On your paper today, I'd like you to um, be prepared. We've been, as we've been going through the last several weeks, we've been writing down petitions and prayers to the Lord. And if you can just start off your petition like this today, deliver us from dot, dot, dot. What is that thing? Where is the enemy prowling? Where do you see him constantly coming after you? Where do you see him luring you? Where, where is he setting the trap? Deliver us from dot, dot, dot. We'll have time to put that up during communion. I remember uh, one time in seminary, my, one of my sons was dealing with some pretty intense fear. And he's not prone to like make things up. And he said he was seeing some things that were pretty scary. And we began to talk about spiritual warfare. And I talked to him about the power of prayer. And I also busted out some of my uh, seminary training and, and told him a little bit of a story of Martin Luther. So Martin Luther understood what it was like to go through spiritual warfare. His life was constantly under attack. And here's a quote. Here's what he says, how he confronted the devil often. He says, but I resist the devil. And often it is with a fart that I chase him away. <laughs> when he tempts me with silly sins, I say, devil, yesterday I broke wind too. So I said to my son, 
look at this. Look how the, 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 one of the chief reformers in our tradition like fought the devil. I said, now I'm, I'm not encouraging you to fight the devil like that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. When you're full of the knowledge of the power of God, that Christ lives in you, that Jesus Christ died and rose again so that you might be forgiven. He overcame the devil. He crushed the serpent. When you're full of this knowledge, it takes but one simple word. Be gone. Christ is in me. Christ is with me. You will not prevail. Oh Lord, deliver me from the evil one. So we must believe the gospel and pray these dependent prayers. Oh God, I need you. Deliver me from evil. The more you're full of God's word, the more you're full of his truth, the more powerful you are. And you can just say, be gone. Be gone. Get away from me, evil one. Remember who defeated you. There was a song uh, my wife was listening to the other day, and, and it just kind of repeats this, this chorus over and over again. It says, this is how I battle. This is how I battle. And it's just through singing, singing a song to the Lord. It says, the scriptures say that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So there's power in singing. You can sing your prayers. You can simply speak your prayers to the Lord. I remember early in our marriage, we'd get hit with this, this unexplainable fear at times, at nighttime. My, both my wife and I mysteriously would feel a, a grave sense of like fear. Sometimes we'd call our dad for prayer. Sometimes we just would sing the songs that you learn in Sunday school. Jesus loves me. And this strange peace would just come and fill the room again. So battling the enemy, this, this evil foe who's much stronger than us can really be vanquished just by simply coming to the Lord in prayer. A simple song. Lead us not into temptation. Martin Luther uh, didn't only battle through um, chemical warfare, but he had a, a very powerful song called A Mighty Fortress. And this is what he says in that song. He speaks of this very battle. He says, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Check out this second verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What is that little word? Have you ever thought about what is that little word? Is it Jesus? I, I went and I did a little research on that and and I found out what Martin Luther was speaking about when he said one little word. And that word is liar. When we realize that, that serpent who's speaking to us, who's luring us, who's prowling after us, is only a liar. There's no fangs in his mouth. They've been broken when Christ was on the cross. Liar. So the secret to overcoming the evil one. The secret to overcoming temptation is realizing the one who's hounding us is a liar. And it's belief in Jesus Christ. It's belief that his death on the cross matters. 
It's belief in the strange exchange that he takes all of our weaknesses and gives us all of his strength. One little word shall fail him. As you go into the week this, this Christmas week, and that evil one comes and he begins whispering his lies and he begins launching his assault and his attacks and his threats, remember that little word, liar. I believe there's a greater word, and that word is Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are justified. We're holy and we're blameless. We're loved by God, and we are a branch saved from the fire. Zechariah 3, 2. If I can just appeal to you, I don't know if you're a follower of Christ, if I could just appeal to you, look to Christ. Set your gaze on it. If, 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 if all religion was fake and I had to pick one, I would look to Christ. Listen to this. Listen to this. Hebrews 4.15 says this. We do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as you are, yet without sin. A God who actually came down and experienced all the junk that you've gone through and prevailed. Belief in him. Belief. Let's pray, saints.